Hello, and welcome to Inside Exams. I'm Craig Barton. I'm a maths teacher with 15 years of classroom experience. I know plenty about irrational numbers and probability theory, but exams, they're still shrouded in mystery. So across this series, I'm going behind the scenes to see what I can learn from those setting our students' exams. Today, I want to tackle the big topic of gender disparity in certain subjects, because I read some stats recently that quite frankly shocked me. Nationally, 80% of students who take GCSE computer science are boys. 77% of A-level sociology students are girls, while they make up only 22% of the A-level physics cohort. When numbers that extreme are reported by the media as existing in big businesses or certain sectors, there's uproar. Do we need to be just as concerned by the gender gaps in school subjects as we are, quite rightly, when we see them in the wider world? After all, how can we expect genders to be equal in boardrooms if imbalances already exist decades before in the classroom? Before I leave my school for the last time this series, as always, I need to know what you need to know. Hi, my name's Hannah, I'm a physics teacher and I was wondering what you are doing to address the gender gap in certain subjects and therefore certain careers. So, is gender imbalance something exam boards think about when they're writing specifications and papers? And how do they ensure there aren't gender biases when it comes to awarding results? Steve Kenny's AQA's Head of Computer Science and I'm going to meet him. Now, it might seem a bit odd that we're two men talking about gender imbalance, but fear not, I'll redress the balance with my second guest. But I'm intrigued to find out what Steve and the exam board are doing to help. Steve, it is an absolute pleasure to meet you today. My aim is to get to the bottom of the gender imbalance in certain subjects, why it happens and what we might be able to do about it. Now, your subject specialism is computer science. What patterns in terms of the uptake by the different genders do we see? In terms of an academic GCSE, the first entry was in 2012. So it's quite a young subject compared to other subjects. The entry in 2012 was around about 1,000 students, 1,200 okay. students. How would that compare to like, something like maths or English? What are we talking there? Hundreds of thousands? Hundreds of thousands. Right, easily. so very small. Yeah. Okay. And over time, computer science has grown. It's grown really quickly. So last year, 2018, there were around about 74,000 students wow. in GCSE computer science. So there's been this massive growth. Mm. However, underlying all that, there has always been a gender imbalance in it. Where we are now, roughly a fifth of the cohort is female at GCSE Computer Science. We kind of bucked the trend at AQA a little bit in that our cohort is slightly more female than the national picture. Mm. For 2018, the national picture, 20.4% of the cohort was girls. Right. For AQA, it was 21.2%. I like it. So slightly saying that, if we put the AQA cohort in context, we've got about a fifth of the national cohort. This is great. And I'm loving the fact you've got loads of numbers. Keep, keep throwing these, <laughs> this music to my ears, this, Steve. Keep, keep them numbers coming. This is a massive question, but why is it? Well, why do more boys choose computer science than girls? I mean, my history, I was, I was a physics teacher. In former life, I was a physics teacher. And physics always had the same issues. Yeah, yeah. So in my day, I taught physics for 10 years almost. I, I could probably count it on one hand the number of girls who took A-level and GCSE physics. Part of the issue with computer science 
my personal view is I think it's about the perception of the subject. CAS mm. Computing at Schools did a survey of, it was about 400 students in 2018, about 12 months ago. Right. And they were a mix of students who hadn't studied computer science or who currently were computer science. And interestingly, they spoke to the students, not the parents, not the teachers, but the people who actually, I suppose, made the decision. Mm. There seems to be a perception amongst the the students who don't take computer science in that it's very mathematically based. Yes. And it's difficult and it's not really for them. I I don't know what is. Maybe it's the the, the way the subject's delivered or just the overall aspects of the subject. And so I think the gender imbalance is really caused by the perception. I think there are lots of other things as well we need to think about, Craig. I mean, it's, it's also... Places in the curriculum, what's computer science up against in terms mm. of other subjects, particularly for options? The programme of study, the Key Stage 1 to 4 programme of study, was introduced about 2012. So that was meant to give all students across all key stages an element of computer science to engage and enthuse them. But that hasn't translated into GCSE numbers in terms of the, the gender imbalance. In the CAS report, one of the main things seemed to be that there was a general lack of information from students, exactly about what the course was, Mm. and probably more importantly, where it could go to. I think some students, the perception from the report was very much that, well, all it'll do is it'll lead me down a path doing something with computers, and I don't really want to do that. Whereas I think what a lot of teachers are trying to do is encourage students by showing them the creative aspect of computer science, because it is really a creative subject, and also the computational logical thinking, where that can lead you to. It doesn't necessarily lead to a career in computing. It can lead to a wide and varied career focus. My daughter's 12 in year eight, and she's just about to do year nine. She's going to take her options in year nine. I was talking to her computer science teacher, who's female, very, very enthusiastic teacher. She was saying that the thing in computer science is some of the girls take a while to get it, but mm. when they get it, they f- absolutely fly. Right. And interestingly, if if we look at kind of AQA statistics, particularly GCSE, across all grades, so 9 to 1 at GCSE and A star to E at A level, mm. the girls who take computer science, the relative percentage each grade boundary is higher for girls than for boys. Really? So the girls actually perform better. Yes. So it, I think it's a really, really interesting concept as to why boys do it and whether it is just a fact that they think it's it's more of a boys subject as yes. opposed to a girls subject. You mentioned physics is another one of these that has this gender imbalance. What are some of the other subjects? Which are the ones that have it the other way around? If you look at things like performing arts, performing arts subjects tend to have slightly different gender imbalance in favour of females. You also get things like MFL, modern foreign languages, which also has that gender imbalance and humanities subjects as well. The national cohort of students is pretty much constant, and we're all fishing in the same pool. So where you're getting gender imbalance in one direction, you get the opposite yes. in another direction. Let me ask you, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but is the pattern in these subjects similar in single-sex schools as it is to mixed schools? So would you get, for example, in an all-girls school, would there be a higher proportion of students sitting in computer science or a lower one? At AQA, part of the explanation for our higher percentage of students at GCSE who are female is because we have a relatively large percent of independent girls' schools. Oh, right. So the subjects are still offered in independent girls' schools. The numbers are not particularly huge, as you would imagine. I spoke to a couple of people. They work in independent, non-selective schools. Mm. And they're saying their gender balance is about 50-50. Um, one guy in particular I was talking to, um, he's an examiner for us, so he's been teaching for a long time. He works in a boys' school and it's an associated girls' school. So once he teaches the girls at GCSE, he teaches the boys at yes. GCSE. 
at A level, he's got equal numbers of boys and girls. Interestingly, oh wow! And whether that's just the experience that the girls have got, he was saying to me, he felt like the girls aren't intimidated by the boys. If, yeah, if that's, that's what I thought it might be. So he was saying to us in the girls' school because it's all girls, even though it's a male, it's a male teacher, it's not a female teacher. The numbers are reasonably healthy, but then the numbers going on to A level are reasonably healthy mm. as well. And the girls are not intimidated by the boys, so they will go in and they will collaborate, they will work together. Whereas sometimes, I mean, you, you probably know yourself, Craig, you go into a class and there's, there's a, a group of boys and they can become a bit dominating. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. can become a bit dominating. Of course. They can, it can also work the other way. I mean, you know, they can help the girls. But I think most of the time, the girls feel a bit intimidated. I'm going to go a bit controversial now, Steve. We might, okay. we, we might as well. <laughs> so we've acknowledged that this gender imbalance exists. Yeah. Is it a problem? Should, should we be worrying about it? I think we should. Again, just my personal view. If we look into industry, 20% of the cohort in industry, in terms of broadly computer science-ish jobs, is female. And that can't be good in the workplace. You know yourself, and I know myself in days from teaching, schools tend to have a mixed community. Mm. And I think if there's fewer females going into, say, teaching computer science that's going to perpetuate this issue so i personally do think it's an issue for us a lot of people you talk to will say computer science is a creative subject the things we need to think about is for example wearable technology how computer science is evolving and really it's not just about a load of people sitting in a room programming writing games or producing things like that it's much broader than that yes and I, I, i do think by not having a representative sample across the community what you know whether that's age, race, ethnicity, Mm. whatever it may Mm. be. I think it's detrimental to the subject. There's been a lot of female involvement in computer science that hasn't largely been recognised. And maybe, you know, the idea of role models, as I was saying before, my daughter's teaching in school, really enthusiastic, clearly knows her stuff. Mm. And she's she's enthusing my daughter about computer science Mm. in the way it's delivered. We need to try and break the cycle. The only way we can break the cycle is by encouraging more people through. Well, on that point, what can AQA do as an awarding body to break the cycle? If you start at the very basics from, from an awarding body mm. point of view, we produce a specification. And the specification simply lists the content that has to be taught to the students mm. to enable them to do the exams. Yeah. Okay. When we list the content, the content is the content. Yeah. So it's written in such a way as this is the content that you have to deliver. So in that respect, we don't really have an influence over the way that content is delivered. Sure. So that a lot of that is down to you as an individual teacher. Mm. One of the things we do in AQA, or we have done, we did run a marketing campaign called See It To Be It. And that was really about kind of role models, presenting both, both girls and boys, to be fair. You know, it, it's meant to be a bit of everything. So this would have been a marketing post that was sent to schools. And it really was about providing positive role models for students, both girls and boys, and really about opening up the subject to make it more accessible, to, to have that thing of a positive role model in front of you. So there's a visual clue there. Mm. People can actually see other people, people like them, doing the jobs that they want to do. And, you know, when we produce resources for students, we try to make the resources gender neutral. I suppose it's really about the context of the resource. Right. So, for example, if, we, if we're doing a resource on trace tables, it's really about presenting the facts. Right. Rather than say, you know, rather than putting, I don't know, trace tables in a context that boys would like or putting them in a context that girls would. We don't do that. We present the information to the teacher. Got it. Because the bottom line is the teacher's the professional who knows the students in front of them, who knows how to influence those mm. students in terms of delivery. That's interesting. So you provide resources in a way 
that kind of puts the onus on the teacher to inspire, but doesn't kind of force them down a route where they're favouring one gender than the other. That's fascinating. Have you ever been tempted, and this may be the stupidest idea you've ever heard in your life, Steve, but to go for a kind of context that may favour girls in your materials to try and kind of boost the uptake that way? I think that's difficult, isn't it, Craig? Because I think the minute you try to do that, you then start to alienate the boys. Yeah. And I think that's really difficult. I mean, if we, if we go on to kind of talk about things like exam questions mm, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Again, with exam questions, we do try in the exams to make them as gender neutral as possible. So the exam questions are always put in a context most students would be familiar with. Even that's difficult, isn't it? it absolutely, hey? absolutely, Craig. Yeah, it really is. I suppose the other thing people might think where there's an unconscious bias mm. is in the way we mark the papers. Way back when, when I was a teacher, students would sit your exam, you'd then collect all the papers together, send them off to a particular person, and that person would mark the entire script. Sure. So they'd know who the student was, yes. they'd know which school the student was from, and they'd begin to mark the script. To some extent, that, that may have led to some unconscious bias within the marking process. You know, from the name, they can obviously work out details of the students. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, while that may have led to an, a, an unconscious bias, it may not have done as well at the, sure. at the same time. What we do now in AQA, when students take the examinations, we take the scripts and we scan the scripts. Mm. When examiners mark the scripts, they never mark a complete script from a right. single student. Right. So what they would do is they would mark individual, we, we call them items. Most teachers will probably be familiar with questions and sub-questions, mm. or as we call them in AQA, dotties, dotty one, <laughs> dotty two, everyone calls them dotties. <laughs> so what we do is we take all the sub-questions and break them up. Right. So when the examiners start to mark the questions, the only thing that they see is the clip in front of them. Wow, okay. There's nothing where they can identify a student or a school. They're just purely marking the answer based on what the answer is. So in that case, all the unconscious bias has been removed from the yes. from the marking process as well. Can we backtrack just to the, the questions themselves? I'm fascinated about this. So we've, we've done episodes in this series about the language used in questions and the context. I'll tell you why the um, the context interests me. And this We're going to go a bit mathematical here. There's a study in maths by a lady called Joe Bowler. And it's a paper that's called, I always get the name a little bit wrong, but it's along the lines of when girls prefer football to fashion. And as we've spoke about before, there's the idea that if you write a question in a context that would perhaps it's based around football, you may think that will favour the boys. And then you think, oh, no, well, let's counteract that. Let's write a context that will be more interested, that girls will be more interested in to favour the girls. But what this study found was that if you write a question in a context that, say, for example, the boys know more about, they actually bring in a lot of information with them into the question that's not actually relevant. And it actually puts them off the question and they perform worse as opposed to, oh, I know absolutely nothing about this context. So I'm actually just going to focus on the information information that's given in the question right. so i perform to my ability as opposed to bringing in extra stuff so there's a real danger isn't there in i mean you mentioned we try to write gender neutral questions but that's almost an art form isn't it absolutely Craig. with our examiners they're, they're all experienced examiners they're all experienced teachers and our examination papers go through a very rigorous process in terms of looking at all aspects and one of those things is we have a person called a scrutineer and the scrutineer behaves as a student so what oh, they do wow. is they get a clean copy of the paper they don't get the mark scheme and they will answer the paper as a student would and so really what we're checking amongst other things we're checking 
is there any bias in this paper? Mm. Go on a bit left field. We offer an international GCSE in computer science as well. At the moment, it's kind of, it's kind of in the Middle East. Mm. And really what we're trying to do there is remove any cultural biases oh, as well. Oh, wow. God, so yes. I think, th- I think there's a whole research topic on cultural bias and gender bias within papers. So, for example, if we, if we look at A-level computer science, at A-star, 4.2% of the female cohort achieved an A-star yep. compared to 3.2% of boys. Right, okay. For me, that suggests that at A-level, certainly, there doesn't appear to be a bias in the questions. Mm-hmm. If the girls are performing really well, you would assume that the questions aren't biased in favour of the yes. boys. If we look at the AQA statistics for 2018, so these are just the AQA, not the national statistics, 7% of the female cohort got a grade 9, whereas 4.2% of the cohort were boys who got a grade 9. Yes. So again, I mean, that, that tends to suggest to me one of the factors, maybe that gender bias in the questions, doesn't appear to be there. Mm. Or the, if it is there, the girls are coping admirably with it. I mean, this strikes me, these figures strike me as things that girls need to hear, right? Interestingly, I, if we look at the skills that the students develop during computer science, the CAS survey asked computer science students and non-computer science students, the non-computer science students said the top skill that they developed was people skills, mm. interestingly. Then things like situation analysis, then things like mathematics, and really quite low down the list was things like electronics knowledge and those kind of things. Mm. Whereas with the non-computer scientists, 78% of them said it was maths, right, maths-based. Okay. And then the next one was web and internet skills, yes. which was low down the CAS list. Yes. And again, electronics knowledge, that came third for the non-computer scientists. So it, it does sound like, and I assume it's the same in other subjects, it may be a communications issue, this. I absolutely think it is. I don't think the students going into the subject fully understand, A, what the subject is, B, how they can thrive. They don't understand how they can excel in the subject, and they don't understand where they can go to. Mm. So I think you're absolutely right, Clay. I think you've absolutely nailed it. It really is about communication. Well, Steve, you have given me so much to think about, about the the gender imbalance in subjects. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much. Cheers, Greg. Thanks very much. It's interesting to hear how gender affects exam entries and to know that awarding bodies are doing what they can to redress any imbalances. But in this case, I think a lot of the responsibility needs to be taken by us as teachers in schools. To find out what more we can be doing, I'm going to meet Dawn Hewitson, a course leader for PGCE Computer Science at Edge Hill University. Dawn, it is absolutely fantastic to meet you today. Thank you so much for inviting us to your university. And I'm dead excited for two reasons to speak to you today. Firstly, because you're a recognised expert in computing. But also, I know you've got a keen interest in gender imbalance. So just to kick things off, where does that interest come from? It comes from being involved in education and also in computing for over 30 years now. And throughout my journey in my career, I've noticed significantly that there are a number of males and very, very few females. It's not the sort of place that you come as a girl to find friends and influence people, unfortunately. (laughs) And even in my career, wanting to make improvements, I've done things like I used to be 
an advisor for the Specialist Schools Trust, mm-hmm. taking children and teachers into industry to try and encourage them to become in- interested in industry and also the vast array of roles. And you notice that there's very few female computer science teachers and there's also very few females in the industry. And there's also, a, I suppose, a little bit of pig-headedness in me, but that mm. I actually <laughs> feel, you know, why can't I? You know, why can't I do what a man does? Mm. You know, it's really a, a topic area where you really can change the world if if you've got the right influences around you. There's a gentleman called Peter Kemp who's done a, a Roehampton report and he's looked at, you know, social mobility and the ability for computing to improve that. And he reckons that gender stereotypes start from as young as 18 months old. Wow, they're already really? Yes, they are already engendered to identify with a gender stereotype as young as 18 months old. Yeah. That's scary, isn't it? it? Very scary. So it's not something actually that you can redress at secondary school level. It's got to go right the way down to, you know, primary school, in my opinion. And the thing with girls is they want to solve a problem. A lot of them want to solve a problem. And unfortunately, the computational thinking side of the curriculum is kind it's not ignored, but it's not paid attention to as much as it could be. And I personally feel that that's where the balance redress could be made. And one of the things that you can look at to kind of evidence that is the Duke of York's idea project. Oh, tell me more about that. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, here we go. (laughs) This this sounds a good one. Yeah, well, he's got an ideas project that largely is maker culture, really. Right. And maker culture is really exciting. They do like a pitch at the palace where they have to design a project and go and share it at St James's Palace with the Duke of York and that is really a lot of children where they get the opportunity think that that's quite exciting and a lot of girls do tend to get involved in that project and that's quite good and in terms of maker culture that is really led by girls you know it's really led by girls throughout. We went to a fantastic project at Bolsover Castle run by the Foundation for Digital creativity Mm. and the Royal Society of Art and they were producing motivational roses that used GPS technology to light up a heart shape that was projected onto the castle and the nearer they went to the castle the bigger the heart went and it, it was based on a historical project and it was actually quite interesting for a number of reasons the main one being Bolsover is one of those areas that suffered as a result of the miners' strike. Right. And it's a very socially divided town. And so we went in there with the original idea of trying to bring the town together. That's really where I think it would make a huge difference in the classroom to combine computing subjects with other subjects Mm. so that they can see why they're doing these things. Why do they need to know about how computer programs work? Why do they need to be able to solve problems? Well, if you can solve a problem in one subject, you can do it in in others. And there are people who talk about problem-solving culture. So Mark Dolan, who's one of the, was one of the national leads for computer science, he is dyslexic and he used computer programming to improve his language skills. And so that's something that you can, you know, you can think about how the influence of computing can, you know, sort of improve other areas of your life. So that's that's what I think anyway. What are some of the subjects, for example, that something like computing would, would work well with to, to, to kind of show the wider role of computing? So we've got design technology, which is an obvious partner. Mm. Music. 
Oh, tell me more about that. Music. Our lovely friend Sam Aaron with his sonic pie. Um, <laughs> um, you, everybody knows who Fat Boy Slim is, yes. but we need a female Fat Boy right, Slim. Right, okay. We do need a female Fat Boy Slim. Um, he uses music. He teaches Ruby programming using using a musical. Um, and, and that is mega popular with mm. girls. They love it. We have three girl guides on the course at the moment, and they have used Sonic Pie as a vehicle to take computing into the schools that they work in. Um, one of them's at the Liverpool Studio School, and they've had some tremendous successes with things like that. It's been really, really good. The other thing that's not used effectively is dance. Okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a young lady called Genevieve Smith Noons who's researching at the moment at Cambridge University and she does some fantastic work about computational dancing and girls never think about how a dance routine is put together Mm. and how that is actually solving a problem Mm. you know a a dance routine which steps you do if you go to the gym and you do um, an aerobics class and you do the grapevine a grapevine is an algorithm because you step one foot behind and then one foot in front and all that sort of stuff and that is a routine and that can be referred to as a function and it's about likening the, the concepts of computing when girls are on their own in their own environment to make them feel more confident in the things that and make them understand it in language that they understand. Why does this encourage, if it's not a stupid question, increase girl participation? Is it particularly important for girls to see the wider application of these well, subjects? Well, it is, but if they produce an artefact like a piece of music, mm. they can share it on social media. You know, they can add it to a film that they've done or they can, mm. you know, they can do things with it that aren't just sitting there writing, churning out code. Right. You know, churning out code is, is interesting if you're interested in it, but it's, I mean, the approaches to to coding in schools in my opinion is wrong anyway the way in which in industry in reality if you've got a problem and you can't solve it you can go on to things like github or Mm. you know there's loads of different sites like that where you can find solutions and adapt them to what you want them to be but you can't do that in schools because that's called plagiarism so you know so that's that's problematic i think that that particular approach of actually getting them to to actually look out there into the wider world and seeing how coding you know how i mean for example facebook could use facebook as an example how is that so successful why is it so successful Mm. as a platform and what programs run in the background and i don't see very much of that in the curriculum now i'm nervous about what i'm about to say we're going to go controversial on the podcast and i'm praying my wife's not going to listen to this (laughs) because i'm I'm going to put my chauvinistic hat on here how do we know and please don't punch me here but how do we know that it's not the case that the boys are just better suited and better oh, do, do you know what I mean? okay. well shall we start back with the statistic 80 percent of computer systems fail <laughs> right. you know why do you think that is i don't um, know <laughs> my opinion is that there's not enough women in there women are naturally the natural problem solvers and multitaskers you know they really are and i'm not saying that men can't do sure. that but i do think that there are skills soft skills that women have that are not exploited properly in the computing industry and and I think that that is a massive massive issue boys are not better than at it than girls and actually the girls that I work with that are better at it than boys they are five six seven times better at it than boys because to make a point you've got to be better I wonder what can what can schools themselves do to, to help address this gender imbalance? Okay, so there's loads of stuff. There's some fantastic organisations out there that help. Our main influencer, really,
really is CAS, the Computing at School organisation. In Manchester, we are extremely lucky. We've got um, a lady called Carol Murray who heads all that up and she goes out into schools and sets things up. Free workshops, but they're very poorly attended. It's really difficult to get teachers out of school. And mm. actually, some of these men have actually listened to us, which is very nice. No, they have. Yeah, they have listened to us. And one of the good things that's come out of it is we've now got some really generous bursaries to get teachers out of school and into these what they're called uh, now NCCE pro- programs. Okay. So it's the National Centre for Computing Excellence, and those are happening all over the country. They're happening everywhere. And I have to say, I went into a workshop yesterday, and it was I think it was eighty percent women in there. So I was quite. And they're aimed at people who haven't got computing degrees. Mm. And you know, it's it, it is trying to redress the balance and getting those people out there that don't feel confident, yes. that feel beaten up a little bit by men sometimes, proverbially <laughs> not. Not literally. (laughs) That they can actually, I call it dip in and have a do. You know, typical Lancashire expression. But (laughs) you know, that's what they can do. And there's no threat. There's no nobody judging you about how difficult or how hard you're finding it. You're literally given the support and the help that you need, which which I think is a really really positive move forward. So there's that. One thing I've done in maths because whilst I'm in a fortunate position that that everyone has to do maths, Mm -hmm. that's not true at A level, and we have a problem that mm. you tend to get more boys doing doing A-level maths than girls. One thing I've done is um, I get two of my sixth form students to come and speak to my year 11s, my prospective A-level mm. students, and I always make sure that there's a girl and a boy mm. because I've, and I, I'm interested to get your take on this, Dawn, I feel that role models are, are, are key to this. And we, we've spoke about, we've spoke about kind of external and award-winning role models, but within school, if you can see here's a successful girl who's doing this subject. That, that can make a big difference, oh, can it's, it? Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. One of the things that we've found from the work that we've done at Edge Hill is we've tried various approaches to getting girls interested mm. so we did something called strictly come coding <laughs> I like yeah it. yeah it was and it was fabulous it was run by my colleague dr paula beer who's an expert in play she invented the strictly come coding phenomenon and literally you know she did projects where the girls just they actually picked what they did and they came and and they did it and then they took it back to their schools mm. and they were then used as a role model imagine i'm in my a-level maths class yeah. and i've got eight kids in there for example and there's one girl, seven boys, just 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 for argument's sake, which wouldn't be something kind of uncommon. That kind of ratio. Story of my life. Yeah. Now, what should what should I be doing without going outside of the classroom walls? Just in my day to day, my interactions within lessons. Should I be making a conscious effort to to ask the girl more questions, fewer questions, make sure I have kind of one to one time during the lesson? What what what? Because no. you've got to be careful, haven't you? Oh, that you, gosh, you don't you don't yeah. want to go too far the you other way. It's a minefield. Know. So help, help me, Dawn. Help I'll me. I'll help you. I would use the software that's in the classroom. You have little, like, you, you can take over the children's screens when right. they're teaching and you can send them little motivational messages, mm. you know, and look at what they're doing on screen without them knowing that you're looking at what mm. they're doing and then just put, like, a little comment that they're doing well. So not everybody, it's not drawing 
explicit yes. attention to them and making them feel like they're different. I think that's <coughs> the point I wanted to make because it's, it's patronising that, isn't oh, it, gosh, as well? Yeah. And I yeah. guess even if I'm in a, a math class and I don't have that technology, it's just the case of going to have a kind of quiet word, isn't yes. it? And, yeah. it? and I guess it's it's knowing your kids because, I mean, I, we've probably both taught enough lads for whom giving them praise publicly is the best oh, thing in the yeah. world for them. Yeah. And that's yeah. what perhaps they need. But we've also taught lads and girls for whom that's the worst thing in the world. And perhaps yeah. just kind of a just a quiet word saying you're doing fantastic is exactly what they need. Yeah. Another thing that you can do that's really, really good, but not too often, is showcase their work to the rest of the class. You know, this is what Tilly's done, you know, mm. isn't it? Isn't it fact can we can we say what we like about it and what we don't like about it? You've got to be careful with that because sometimes, like I say, if the boys know that it's a girl's piece of work, they mm. can be a little bit critical. But this is a piece of work that's been produced in the class. Yes. You know, what do you think about this? And Tilly sat there in the class and you know and then you say that's Tilly's work at the end of it mm. you know so that they, they've given an unbiased opinion yes. of the good work that she's done but I on, I honestly think that teachers have facilities to send postcards home yes you know they have facilities to give them house points and reward mm. them they also have facilities to recognize the work that they're doing in terms of giving them awards and recognition in school awards days and things like that so that's something that you could perhaps consider can I ask just well, one final thing I want to ask is, and this is a dodgy area for me, you, you, we've kind of touched upon it earlier on with the kind of context that some of the questions we ask our kids are wrapped up in. And I find this in math. Sometimes there'll be some kind of problem solving contextual question. Mm. And I'll read the context and either I'll think, oh my God, that has no relevance to them yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Or I'll read it and think, well, that's going to be more interesting if you're into this particular kind, yeah. kind of thing. Now, I guess the danger is that in a subject like computing, you try to change the context to make them, for want of a better phrase, kind of girl-friendly. Yeah. And is is there a danger, you, again, you go too far and tip into kind of patronising territory, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think it needs more gender neutrality. Yeah. That's what I think, well, rather t- t- than... Tell me about that. What would be an example of a gender neutral well, context? Well... They're they're all around, aren't they? They're gender neutral context. Go on, give me they're some, all give around. Me some. There are problems that everybody encounters every day. Your mobile phone contract. Yes. You know your mobile phone data contract. Trying to work out how many text messages you've got left, or how mm. many pictures you can send, different things like that. But the problem that you've got is that an awful lot of the questions are written by men. You know, the chief examiner for computing for one of the exam boards is a man and he's been there for a lot of years. He's very good. I'm not criticising <laughs> him. I know him quite well, but it is... I've been an examiner, I've been a moderator and all the rest of it. And and again, those teams in computing are largely men and that, that again, we need to perhaps think about maybe getting more women to look at the exam papers and maybe asking them what their opinion mm. is. That perhaps could be something that would maybe redress the gender balance. But th- you've got to think about things in a gender-neutral way. OK, just to wrap things up, Dawn, we obviously can't solve this problem between no. us. But if we've, if we've got teachers listening who think... Okay, what is something I can do as an individual to at least make a little difference into starting to to redress this problem? What would you advise? I'd advise them, first of all, to get a student teacher in. That sounds like a really... But that buys you some time to think about your curriculum. Ah, okay, right, I see. It buys you some time to look at what you're actually delivering and start planning things differently and looking at how your curriculum 
is designed, who it's aimed at, and think about, you know, particularly this time of year when you've got your year 11s that have left or on the way to be having left, you can actually look at what you're actually delivering and look at, is it going to be interesting? You know, running it by a female member of staff, Mm. would you be interested in this? Mm. You know, do you think it's something? And try to think about what a girl would actually feel like if they're looking at this in the classroom. Just run your ideas past people and discuss them and Mm. talk about them. See what girls' reactions would be to the actual problems that you've got within delivering the curriculum. Sounds great advice, Dawn. I've absolutely loved this. I found it fascinating. Thank you, thank you. It feels like we as teachers have a real responsibility to show students how the things we're teaching them will be relevant to them in the real world. That's where we have a chance to really engage them. If you head to the podcast show notes, you'll find more top tips for promoting all subjects to all genders. Well, that's it for Series 1 of Inside Exams. There are plenty of episodes to listen back to, though. We've discovered the secret of writing brilliant multiple-choice questions, what exam access arrangements are available, how mark schemes are written, how grey boundaries are awarded, and lots more besides. Plus, there are mini-episodes on AQA's Unlocking Potential programme, the Extended Project Qualification, and the Unit Award Scheme too. For now, goodbye.